electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. And thank you, Scott. Welcome. I'm Melissa Lee. Here's what's ahead on The Exchange. Stocks wiping out earlier losses as investors seem to be putting fears of rising rates aside. So why the shift in sentiment? Plus, overstock shares falling despite a solid earnings beat. We'll speak with the CEO about its outlook, the consumer, and the state of its crypto investments as Bitcoin continues its volatile run. And our electric car stocks losing their spark. The sector is sinking this month with some names down 20% or more. We'll take a look at what is driving this move. But we begin with today's markets. Dom's got the numbers, Dom. The numbers are looking pretty good. And because we've seen the dip buyers come back into the marketplace right now, remember, over the course of the past few sessions, we've seen a lot of the big high flyers, the big technology stocks, take a bit of a turn to the downside, in some cases dropping by about 10 to 20 percent. Take a look right now, though. As we had come off the heels of those moves, the Dow Industrials right now near the highs of the session, up about 1 percent, 317 points. The S&P now solidly back above 3,900 up about seven, seven tenths of 1% of the NASDAQ. Fair 13,524, the last trade there, up one half of 1%. Still the laggard there, of course, in terms of overall performance. Now, when it comes to the big theme developing so far, over the last several months, we've seen this divergence happen. Some of the high flyers from last year tailing off in performance a bit. Some of the value-oriented, beaten-up stocks doing pretty well. Energy. The smallest sector in the S&P 500, it's only about a 2.5% weighting, is now up 32% just so far in the early part of 2021. Meanwhile, technology is only up 3%. That's a 28% weighting the S&P. So there's a huge shift happening there in terms of performance. Value like energy really outperforming in terms of the overall market. But again, technology much more important, mathematically speaking. And then take a look at these stocks. Walt Disney, Goldman Sachs, Caterpillar, Vulcan Materials, kind of like the reflation trade financials, industrials, infrastructure type stocks and media all up on the day. And by the way, all of them get a gold star because, Melissa, we know that all of these stocks have hit record highs and trading at some point today. I'll send things back over to you. All right, Dom, thanks as always. Stocks have erased earlier losses with the Dow hitting a new all-time high. The Nasdaq, which has been weighed down by the tech heavyweights, is positive for the first time in three days. More on this market reversal with Angela Mwanza, private wealth advisor at UBS Global Wealth Management. Angela, welcome. Why do you think there's this sentiment change between yesterday and today? I mean, today we actually win above 1.4% on the 10-year yield. We're holding above 1.3% pretty firmly. Why the difference in sentiment? It's interesting. I I think one big thing happened between yesterday and today is that we had the Federal Reserve Chair, um, um, Jerome Powell, speaking to the Senate Banking Committee. And I think that put people at ease because really the question I've been having before now is what is the impact of rising interest rates going to be on my stock portfolio? And over the last three, say, three months, the 10-year has been eking up over half a percent. And that's pretty rapid. That's a really big number. So to be at 1.41% already this year is, is pretty huge. And I seeing, I think what we're reading in there and what, what uh, Jerome Powell reconfirmed is that there is a growing optimism in the, in the recovery of the economy. I think people are seeing the light at the end of the pandemic tunnel. They're seeing that there are more injections than infections. 
Um, they're saying that, that, you know, Johnson & Johnson likely will see an, a single dose. So that means we can inoculate people quicker. Earnings has, has, has had a good season. And it's not just the beats that are good, more than 20% in beats. I think the indication from, from the rising confidence of management to say, hey, I think that, that going forward, I have a better handle on my, on my future cash flows. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that our earnings are going to be growing much faster. Okay. Um, lastly, fiscal stimulus. And um, again, the words of the very supportive Fed saying, I'm going to keep buying bonds on a monthly basis. I'm going to keep interest rates low Mm -hmm. because it's not about Wall Street. It's about Main Street and Main Street is still suffering and we need to be supportive. So basically, whatever the 10 year yield does, you know, at this point that Jerome Powell's got the markets back, so to speak. And so when you say that you have or position for a risk on portfolio, what does that mean? In terms of valuation, for instance, that could still mean a rotation away from technology, which is what we have seen in the past three days. And I think we're seeing this rotation away from technology because if we if we kind of dig look under the hood of what's happening with interest rates, nominal interest rates have been uh, have been eking up, but real interest rates were pretty flat for a while. And about three weeks ago, they kicked up, and it was almost like this this trigger to the market that yes, this economic recovery is a real thing, uh, and and so. Um, seeing that sell-off in tech, yes, one rebalances. They were up 30 to 80% last year. So to rebalance out of those those names into names that, that are going to see that valuation um, support from a rising interest rate environment. And so those are things like, again, this, this global equity rotation. Those are things like, like cyclicals, um, which we like. Uh, emerging markets is our favorite uh, is our favorite investment right now. Hmm. Uh, they tend to be very cyclical. They tend to be commodities driven. And from a valuation standpoint, we like where they are. Um, and, you know, th- there's that trade of get me the heck out of my house now. Uh, so there's con- consumer discretionary trades. Uh, I think people are just itching to get out there. Uh, savings rates are at a 16 percent. People are just ready to go out and spend. Yeah. Uh, and so I think just going on the back of that cyclical trade. There's a lot of talk about revenge spending once uh, once everybody <laughs> is, is vaccinated and there's some sort of herd immunity. Um, but does that necessarily mean, Angela, that all those work from home darlings, that they will suffer? when there is that sort of snapback? Not all of them. I, I think there is a, a kind of new normal that's come, in space. It, it come into play. Um, a lot of companies are talking about uh, the new F word, which is flexibility. We don't know what that's going to look like. Do people want to be 100% in the workplace or are they going to, to, to want to be um, uh, work from home again? Will they want that flexibility? And I think we'll see some of those trends um, stay so so some of those um, in fact what's driving the the the, uh, the shortage in in semiconductor chips I think mm-hmm. a lot of people like all of the consumer electronics that they've been able to amass and, and like how they've set up their homes uh, and and like you, you know that they've been able to renovate their homes and spend time with family um, so I think a lot of those will will um, continue uh-huh. um, but you know we're not going to see the same sort of last in earnings. And, uh, and and I think really just looking to those companies, um, even financials that tend to do well with the rising interest rate, um, are going to be the better investment at this point. Right. One other area that I think is going to do really well with the, uh-huh. with, with the reopening is in the sustainable investment space. Mm. Angela, a pleasure. Thank you. Angela Moanza, UBS Wealth uh, Management. We've got a news alert here in the bond market right now. Five-year bonds up for auction. Let's get to Rick Santelli for the results. Hey, Rick. 
Hi, Melissa Lee. Well, of course, this is a second auction, 61 billion five years. And just for an aside, two years ago, the size of this auction was around 40 billion. These uh, numbers have gotten humongous. But anyway, 0 0.621, 0 0.621 is where the auction came in for five-year notes. And consider this, that the one issue market was trading around 0.61 basis points. So it tailed a bit. There's definitely points off for that. We gave it a Charlie minus. All the metrics from bid to cover, indirects, directs, uh, were all below average. The one that really caught my eye was dealers. The average 10-year auction for dealers takedown on auctions is 24%, but they had to take almost 29% this time around. All we have left is tomorrow's seven-year. That'll complete this package. And once again, size is huge, and we see a bit of a light sell-off after the auction buttoned up with pushing up traditional yields on the curve a bit here as they are off the highest yields, but not giving up much ground. Melissa Lee, back to you. Rick, thank you. Rick Santelli. We are keeping an eye on the chip stocks with President Biden expected to sign an executive order to address the shortage in the industry today. This is chip giant NVIDIA set to report earnings after the bell. Josh Lipton joins us now with the latest. Hey, Josh. So, Melissa, right now the chip industry is dealing with the most serious shortage in years, and that's impacting everything from computers to cars. For example, GM recently warning investors that the shortage could cut its earnings by as much as $2 billion this year. Now, President Biden's administration is trying to address this challenge with these new executive orders to help create more secure and resilient supply chains, specifically setting up formal reviews, which can then become the basis for future action. The administration referring to semiconductors saying the United States is the birthplace of this technology, and it has always been been a leader in semiconductor development. However, over the years, we have underinvested in production, hurting our innovative edge, while other countries have learned from our example and increased their investments in the industry. One issue where there does seem to be some degree of bipartisan support, by the way, ramping up domestic chip manufacturing in this country question, though, is still how much money lawmakers ultimately will dedicate and when. Chip shortage can be bad news for chip customers like those car makers, but not necessarily for the chip makers themselves. Ultimately, they're going to still ship everything they can make. The SMH, the ETF that tracks the chips, has been under some recent pressure, but pull back that chart. It's up about 20% over the past three months, hit a fresh all-time high just last week, and one of the best performers in that ETF over the past 12 months, NVIDIA, reports Q4 earnings after the bell today, up more than 100% over the past year, 200% since its March low. Melissa, back to you. You know, Josh, it's amazing to see you had mentioned um, increase in domestic manufacturing of chips that, that the U.S. makes up about 47% of global chip sales, but only, what, 12% of production. Uh, so it's lost quite a bit because it was 37% of global production just, uh, you know, in 1990. Where are the chips being manufactured right now? Is it mostly contract manufacturers like a Taiwan Semi? That's exactly right. So the bulk of that is going to be a contract manufacturer like TSMC. They were about at 20, 22 percent. And you did see this big drop off in the U.S. Like I mentioned, there's been some uh, you know, bipartisan support, at least calling for more domestic chip manufacturing. Um, when you talk to the trade groups who are representing the semi-industry, they're confident that money is coming. The question is when and how much. I will say if you check in with ch chip analysts, the folks who are really covering this mm -hmm. sector day in and day out, they don't believe even if you saw more domestic chip manufacturing, that is not going to address 
address the current chip shortage because ramping up supply, it's just a matter of time. You wouldn't get there in time. The analysts I checked to think that this chip shortage probably eases Melissa in about six months. Six months. All right, Josh, thanks. We'll check in with the chip analysts right now, in fact. (laughs) It's not just NVIDIA seeing a surge over the past year. Names like Qualcomm and Broadcom, both up more than 60% with the ongoing chip shortage. 2021 could prove to be a difficult one for the sector. Joining us now is Christopher Rollins, Susquehanna Financial Group Senior Equity Analyst. Chris, great to have you with us. And and I'll pick up where Josh left left off in terms of um, domestic manufacturing, that idea. How much money does it cost to build a fab? And in your view, is that likely to actually happen? There is a reason why chip manufacturers outsource the manufacturing now. Yeah, I mean, particularly at the leading edge, it's a scale game. Uh, And the biggest boy gets all the profits. And what we've seen is that, you know, Taiwan Semi has become bigger and bigger and gained advantages. And it, it, it would be incredibly difficult for the United States to catch up in terms of scale. Um, so, yeah, I would not expect leading edge to work. Uh, but there is capacity for places like On Semi. Uh, they have uh, global foundries. For example, they bought their factory. Uh, there are opportunities to invest in analog and uh, lagging edge mm-hmm. uh, technologies. So when you say cutting edge, I assume that that means the chips that we all want right now, the chips that go into the cars, the chips for AI, the chips for data center. So when you're talking about the ability to actually bring back to onshore, reshore chip manufacturing, it wouldn't make sense, in your view, to actually bring back those chips, which are the chips that we see the, the sharpest shortages in. Yeah, I mean, all our bets right now, frankly, are on Intel um, and what Pat Gelsinger can do there. And can he restore U.S. glory? Um, but I think the odds are, are, are really more in favor of scale and, and, and where Taiwan Semi is. And people, to your point, want five nanometer chips from Apple, um, you know, as an, exa- as an example. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I think that's where the United States is right now. We can concentrate on lagging edge, mm-hmm. um, but, but not leading. Let's talk about NVIDIA, which, of course, uh, reports earnings after the bell uh, today, Chris. You know, it's, it's been an interesting few days because we've certainly seen the sort of backlash against higher valuation technology with interest rates rising. So, you know, what's, what's your best guess on how NVIDIA does, not just in terms of the beat, but in terms of how the stock reacts? Because the, the context of this all is, is very important, the context of the market. Yeah, it's a high, high bar, uh, and they have to post something well above the street uh, tonight. So there is a risk there, Um, but everything is going well in terms of the core business for them right now. Uh, Speaking about manufacturing, they're the big winners here. They chose a dual manufacturing strategy with both TSM and Samsung, so they're able to get supply when others can't. Uh, we have this crypto mining thing going on again um, to, to benefit them. I mean, they're going to sell everything they can and they can sell more than others. Do they give good color on the demand for the crypto mining uh, gear uh, on their earnings call? They don't. They claim uh-huh. they can't track it. I think that that is a, a, a good and fair disclosure. Uh, they have, however, created a specific crypto mining GPU uh, that they just launched a couple weeks ago with incredibly high margins for the company, by the way. 
Um, but uh, they will have color and they will break out those specific sales, I think, going forward. Just curious, Chris, how many phone calls do you get inbound from from clients regarding, you know, the impact of higher interest rates on chip stocks, whether it be a real impact in terms of their borrowing costs or whether it just be a rotation out of the higher value names? And are there names in your coverage universe that you think could actually withstand some sort of rotation out of tech better than others? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think portfolio managers have their own idea of what's going on in the macro and apply it to their own portfolio. So they don't they don't look at me to kind of figure out interest rates for them. Um, but in terms of the rotation, uh, I think it's just simply a rotation out of you know high valuation names into low valuation names, uh, multiple names, and that's absolutely happened in semis uh, as well. There's been an outperformance at the bottom of of late. All right. Chris, we've got to leave it there. Thanks for your time. Always good to speak with you. Thanks, Melissa. Christopher Rowland of Susquehanna. Well, Johnson Johnson's single-shot COVID-19 vaccine getting one step closer to FDA emergency use authorization. Meg Terrell's got the latest from the FDA. Hey, Meg. Hey, Melissa. Well, this morning, the FDA released its briefing documents ahead of this meeting Friday of its outside advisors. At the end of the day, they're going to vote on this thing. And the documents today are our first look at uh, what the regulator thinks about this vaccine. Um, Take a look at this graph. It shows the protection from the vaccine, the blue line there, really kicking in after about two weeks after the shot. And of course, this is a one-shot vaccine. So unlike the mRNA vaccines already on the market, you don't have to wait three or four weeks to get your second shot. And then for Um, that protection to kick in. You've got one shot and you're done here. Um, What they also found is that the shot, like we saw in the clinical trial results at the end of January, was completely protective against hospitalizations and deaths. Even though we saw some variability in the efficacy in different regions like South Africa, uh, there really wasn't variability in that protection against severe disease. On safety, the FDA saying no concerns to preclude an emergency use authorization. Uh, The kinds of reactions you might feel if you get this shot, uh, injection site pain, headache, fatigue, muscle pain, In rare events, they said there were a few cases of people getting hives after getting the shot and one hypersensitivity reaction, but not a case of anaphylaxis, as we have seen in rare instances um, with the Pfizer vaccine. Um, Now, what is next for this vaccine? Well, that meeting of outside advisors on Friday, they will vote at the end of the day if that goes well. Uh, The FDA could give the green light over the weekend. The CDC will then meet uh, an advisory group to the CDC to discuss Uh, any considerations about this vaccine. And then we just learned from the White House COVID briefing today, there will be three to four million doses that would go out uh, next week of the J&J vaccine uh, upon the green light, ramping up to 20 million doses by the end of March, 100 million by the end of June. With a one-shot vaccine, that's enough for 100 million Americans. Mal, back over to you. Meg, is there any thought on the part of the FDA to now that we have more data about the three different Uh, vaccines that have been approved or will be approved for EUA on what kind of vaccine, which vaccine is most appropriate for different groups of people? It's such an important question, and that is something we'll be listening closely to from the CDC group. Um, mm-hmm. They often make recommendations about who is most suitable for, for which vaccines. But, of course, we'll hear the, we might hear some of that from the FDA advisory group on Friday as well. But that will all kind of shake out over the weekend, and we'll see if there are specific recommendations made based on the data. All right. Meg, thank you, as always. Meg Terrell. Coming up, shares of Overstock seeing big declines today despite nearly doubling its new customer growth. We'll speak with the CEO about the quarter, the consumer, and, of course, its Bitcoin investments. Plus, the biggest name in the fast food world is getting into the biggest battle in the sector, the chicken wars. A look at McDonald's new strategy to catch up. 
The Exchange is back right after this. This is The Exchange on CNBC. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? The real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Shares of Overstock.com are on pace for their worst day since November. Despite beating earnings expectations on the top and the bottom lines, new customer growth nearly doubled in the fourth quarter, and they saw big gains in their Q4 and full-year revenue. The company is sometimes seen not only as a retail play, but as a crypto play as well. They were the first online retailer to start accepting Bitcoin back in 2014, recently saw their stock jump 7% the day Tesla announced it bought Bitcoin. Joining us now in an exclusive interview is Jonathan Johnson, CEO of Overstock.com. Jonathan, great to have you with us. Welcome back. Thanks, Melissa. How should investors think about overstock? I mean, you know, you make clear that you've got three different businesses. Retail, of course, is the core business. It's the one that makes money. But it seemed your stock seemed to be pretty correlated to Bitcoin. Is that the way investors should think about overstock? Well, I think we're a uh, home furnishings, online home furnishings company. That's what we're focused on. We do have investments in uh, 18 uh, blockchain-based companies, but we recently announced a transaction where we uh, have agreed to have a venture capital firm uh, do the oversight of those as soon as we get government approvals. We are first and foremost a company that brings dream homes for all. I hope that's how investors look at us. <laughs> but the stat that I, I you know, had in the open that the stock moved quite a bit on the day that Tesla announced Bitcoin was added to the balance sheet, you know, really speaks volumes, Jonathan. So is this is this partnership um, with Pelion to, to sort of oversee the Medici Ventures. Is that an effort to really make investors refocus back on that core business? I mean, in your, in your heart of hearts, would you like Overstock to trade with the XRT and other retailers versus with Bitcoin? Well, I tell you, I think we're, a, I think we're an online home furnishing retailers. I think that's how investors should look at us. But we're not doing this deal with Pelion to change how investors look at it. We're We've done this deal because we think it's best for these portfolio companies and a venture capital firm will help maximize those companies' values, thus maximizing uh, overstock shareholder value. Uh, Pelion's going to help those companies grow, have successful uh, economic outcomes, and we're going to keep focusing on running our core business, which is overstock.com and online Mm-hmm. Furnishing company. 
I, I've got a lot of questions about T0 and that platform, the possibilities for it, Jonathan. But I do want to ask about your core business. And I wanted to see what the trends were into the fourth quarter and in the be- beginning of this year. Um, did consumers keep up their pace of purchasing? Are we going to enter tougher comps, uh, which will be uh, you know, harder for you? Well, consumers certainly did keep up their pace of spending with us. We grew 84% year over year in the fourth quarter. As we uh, discussed on our investor call this morning, uh, like Q4, Q1 to date has remained strong. Uh, Yes, comps will get tough uh, toward the end of Q1 and in Q2, but we think our business has changed. We think we're operating better. We've got lots and lots of new customers we can retain. So, you know, we're in this for the long haul. We see sustainable, profitable market share growth is where Overstock goes. All right. Um, and I do want to talk about T0, which is a, a platform, basically. And, and last year, you sought regulatory approval uh, to trade securities, blockchain-based securities in traditional stocks, stocks on this platform. Uh, where, is this, where does that stand right now? And, and nowadays, there is so much interest in NFTs, non-fungible tokens. And I'm wondering if that is an area, that, if that what is what you're talking about in terms of blockchain-based securities. Well, uh, there are three securities trading on the T0 platform. I think what's unique about that is those securities trade and settle on trade plus zero, mm-hmm. T0 days, rather than the T plus two uh, that's caused so much problem uh, in the markets around GameStop and others. As far as uh, non-fungible tokens, yes, those can be traded uh, on T0. Anything, any asset that has value that the owner wants to create liquidity in, whether that's real estate, uh, whether it's uh, whether it's an artist's future income, all those things can be securitized and traded as a security token. Yeah. So when you when you saw the proposal by the DTCC for T zero, basically, um, what do you think? And and do you think Overstock could play a role in how trades are settled in the future? This is what the Robinhood CEO wants to do, although it sounds like T0 wants to be a competitor to a Robinhood or to maybe a Coinbase. Well, T0 offers what Coinbase has. We have a crypto wallet. We also allow for security tokens uh, to trade. And T0 recently got a broker dealer, which allows for MMS securities to trade. I think T0 is going to bring all of those together. There's no reason in 2021 why trades can't settle immediately, or at least the same day that they're made. Uh, T0 is already doing that. I think the DTCC can do it. You know, I think a partnership between the DTCC and T0 would be an interesting thing to look at and discuss, because I think we have the technology that allows that to happen right now. So the technology exists right now, it's just not being used, and that's why we have T plus three. Yeah, T plus two, T plus three. I mean, why not going back to have Bicycle Boys uh, delivering stock certificates uh, in person? It's it's just that crazy. Jonathan, great to get your thoughts. Thank you for your time.
Thanks, Melissa. Jonathan Johnson, the CEO of Overstock. Coming up, despite a move higher today, the EV stocks have had a very rough month. So as Wall Street's love affair with the sector starting to lose its spark. And check out this mystery chart. The stock's up more than 10% today after reporting record earnings. It is now up nearly 30% this year. We'll reveal the name and speak with the CEO straight ahead. The exchange is back in two. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magic Write is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. Welcome back to The Exchange. Markets right now are at session highs. The Dow is now up almost 400 points so far in the session, up one and a quarter percent. S&P up by about a percent. NASDAQ, what a turnaround since yesterday. It is up seven-tenths of a percent right now. Taking a check on the sector's utilities, no surprise, weakest today, but the strongest energy. Take a look at that gain, 3.9 percent uh, today. And for the weak energy, the sector is up about 10 percent. Here's some of the movers that we're tracking for you this hour. Cannabis stocks higher today, but still down more than 30 percent from their February 10th high. Tilray, one of the leaders, up 9%. Shares of American Eagle trading at the highest level in two and a half years on an upgrade to outperform over at Cowan, the firm expecting revenue to double to $2 billion in the next three years. That stock is up more than 30% so far this year. And shares of Six Flags are higher also, despite a bigger-than-expected loss, but revenue and spending per guest came in well above estimates. Six Flags are currently trading up by 2%. Now let's get to Rahel Solomon for CNBC News Update. Hey, Rahel. Hi, Melissa. Hello, everyone. Here's your CNBC News update at this hour. Amid calls by Democrats for his removal, Postmaster General Louis DeJoy apologized at a House hearing today for late deliveries of letters and packages during the holiday season. Now, while acknowledging that the delays were unacceptable, he also blamed decisions made before he took the job last year. The years of financial stress, underinvestment, under unachievable service standards and lack of operational precision have resulted in a system that, that, that does not have adequate resiliency to adjust and adapt to changing circumstances. And after her ceremonial swearing in today, Linda Thomas-Greenfield, the new U.S. ambassador to the United Nations, tweeted, quote, diplomacy is back, multilateralism is back, America is back. And Republican Senator Mitt Romney, who voted twice to convict Donald Trump in his impeachment trials, says that if the former president runs in 2024... He's pretty sure that Trump will win the Republican Party's nomination. And tonight on the news with Shepard Smith, divisions in the GOP ahead of Trump's Sunday speech to the Conservative Political Action Conference. So watch for that tonight. Guys, I'll send it back to you. All right, Rahel, thank you. Coming up, travel takeover. We'll take a look at some of the names that are rallying as investors bet the consumer is ready to hit the road again. And it's Black History Month, and we are honoring some of our CNBC contributors. Here is New England Patriots linebacker Brandon Copeland with his advice for the next generation. My advice to the next generation of black Americans is to not wait for this information, but be proactive in seeking it out. Take ownership of your financial education so that you can change not only your life, but your family's life for the better. Oh, yeah, yeah. Baby. Nice. <laughs> you just killed that. Good job, buddy.
Welcome back. Two major moves in the electric vehicle space in just the past 24 hours. Fisker surging after it signed a deal to manufacture an EV with Foxconn. That stock is up nearly 30 percent. Meanwhile, Workhorse is still in the red after losing the U.S. Postal Service contract to Oshkosh. Other EV stocks having a rough week. Lee Autos is down about 6 percent. Neo next paying lower by 10 percent. Candy Technologies and Electromechanica both sliding 13 percent. And Lordstown is down by 15. Joining us now is Jamie Perez, senior analyst at RF Lafferty. Jamie, great to have you with us. Well, thanks for having me on. I, I wanted to ask you about the, uh, the Fisker deal. I mean, it is interesting that Foxconn, I mean, people think about Fox, Foxconn as the iPhone manufacturer, but here it is manufacturing an EV. How much confidence do you have in its ability to, to make that car, which will live up to what Fisker hopes to be uh, its brand? Well, yeah, well, Fisker has been talking about the Foxconn model for quite a while. So uh, Fisker is a unique uh, EV company where instead of producing everything in-house, they're going to outsource everything um, uh, to contract manufacturers. And of course, the key question is, could Foxconn produce this? Um, it's unlike Magna, who's actually a contract manufacturer for the autos. Um, so they are, there is some risk, but uh, nevertheless, um, it is some deposit for the industry. How, how do you view it? I mean, you know, if given the choice, and I understand that we're all working from home, Jamie, and I right. hear your dog, yeah. so you're probably dealing with that, too. So, right. so thanks for, thanks for um, enduring that. Um, but in terms of deciding on, you know, this sort of like a Magna model versus a Foxconn model, does that add more risk to the Fisker story? Uh, well, yes. First of all, the, the ocean, the Fisker Ocean is going to be built by uh, Magna starting in 2022, mm-hmm. latter half. So that we know is going to be produced. Now, the other models, yes, there is a risk that Foxconn is not a contract manufacturer like, like Magna. So there is a, a risk. But the risk also goes throughout the whole industry. Remember, a lot of these EVs are startups. Unlike Tesla that's been around manufacturing for years, um, a, lot of, like I said, a lot of these EVs still don't have a prototype on the road, um, still have a, a production forecast in the last half of 2000. Uh, 22, sometimes into 23. So there's a lot of risk. And the biggest risk is not only production, but supply of, of equipment, like um, cells that um, Tesla mentioned, and also batteries. Battery constraint could be something that limits the, the whole industry. So there's risk across the board, not just for Fisker. But I think with Fisker using a uh, outsource model, de-risk the, uh, the production which, for Fisker. Mm-hmm. Um, fiscal concentrate on um, actually designing what they call passion and uh, designing a, a car that uh, consumers want and basically have somebody else build it for them. Is it is it hard to sort of, um, I don't want to say come up with a model because your model is your model, but the how yeah. the stock trades is how the stock trades. And the two seem to be very different stories these days with the entrance of, of the retail investor and, and high interest amongst the retail investor. So I'm curious, Jimmy, what do you think of, of the valuations in your space are and, and whether or not these stocks are, are actually buys right now, despite the runs? Yeah, I think they are buys because if you look at most of the price targets, including our, so our price target, it's based on 2023-24 production. So uh, a lot of so a lot of investors are looking at this as okay. I like the stock. It's maybe overvalued, but normally growth stocks are overvalued. You, you know, you can make that argument. Um, but you know, on the other hand, you can say investors are looking for ESG investment, and they're looking to pile into uh, ESG names, and EVs are ESG names. So I think valuations are a little bit ahead 
of themselves, but they'll eventually catch up when some of these companies start actually producing revenues and cash flow. All right. Jamie, we've got to leave it there. Thanks so much for your time. Jamie Perez. All right. All right. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Travel stocks, including Marriott, higher today as a reopening trade gains momentum. Seema Modi spoke to Marriott's new CEO a short while ago, joins us now with more. Hey, Seema. Melissa, day two for Marriott CEO Tony Capuano, who remains laser focused on growing Marriott's portfolio with over 500,000 new rooms in the pipeline. And while hotel occupancy remains below 50 percent, Capuano says leisure travel is leading the recovery. And he is optimistic that with a vaccine, demand will continue to improve. And to those who are calling for the end of business travel, Capuano wholeheartedly disagrees. He says customers are anxious to get back to being face-to-face. Prior to the pandemic, 60% of room nights booked were business travelers. So it is crucial for Marriott and the hospitality industry to see demand recover. Now, Marriott also recognizes the interest in vacation rentals by growing its home and villas platform with 25,000 properties. But Capuano doesn't anticipate being anywhere close to the scale of Airbnb, which has over 5 million active listings. Airbnb, by the way, up 9% ahead of its earnings report tomorrow, Melissa. All right. Thank you very much, Seema Modi. While the reopening trade is picking up, CNBC will take a closer look at how Main Street is faring in a special report tonight. Carl Quintanilla hosts the CNBC special report, The Path Forward, tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern time, so you won't want to miss that. All right, coming up, here's another look at today's mystery chart. Shares are surging today after the company reported record, a record quarter despite a pandemic-related supply crunch. We'll talk to the CEO next. And don't forget, you can watch us live on the go using the CNBC app. The Exchange will be right back. Welcome back. Horizon Therapeutics hitting all-time highs today after posting its third straight record quarter. The pharma company is coming off what it called a breakthrough year in 2020. The company beat, uh, the company beat estimates despite a supply crunch for its key drug to treat thyroid eye disease as an FDA mandate prioritized production of COVID vaccines. The shares, though, keep trending higher, up 170 percent in the past year. For more, let's welcome back Horizon Therapeutics Chairman, President and CEO Tim Walbert. T- Tim, great to have you with us. Oh, thanks so much. Great to be on again. Can you talk us through the supply crunch and, and when that will be resolved? As you said, uh, it, it, you don't want these to happen, but it happened for a good reason. It's to ensure that COVID-19 vaccine production uh, meets expectations. Uh, so we have submitted a larger scale manufacturing, lots of the FDA, and we're working with them to get that resolved shortly. And, and also working with our contract manufacturer to ensure we, we have supply moving forward. So hopefully... By the end of this quarter, we'll have that resolved and we can get back to helping these patients. As I understand it, the production order from the government um, came sort of at the end of December. So can you walk us through how that impacted the number of patients you were able to treat in the fourth quarter? As I understand it from your past earnings um, in the third quarter of 2020, you you treated 2000. So how did the fourth quarter stack up? Well, certainly from a revenue standpoint, we had 20 percent sequential growth to 344 million. Uh, If we had uh, a normal level of inventory growth would have been about 30% in patients and, and net sales. So, you know, strong results, uh, $820 million for the year. So certainly making a big difference for patients. Uh, unfortunate, the supply situation we're going through, but we'll be ready to relaunch it in the second quarter and get back to helping those patients. And so if the second quarter, if you get that FDA authorization for the expanded lots, then um, what would your projected growth be? So we have projected $1.275 billion in sales uh, for the full year as part of our overall guidance of $2.7 to $2.8 billion in, in net sales, which is 25% growth. 
over 2020. Okay. The other um, area that analysts seem to be excited about was the expansion, the footprint expansion of Christexa. Can you tell us about how, how that's going and, and what we should expect, what sort of landmarks we should expect in, this, in the yeah. first quarter, second quarter? Sure. Christexa is our, our medicine for uncontrolled gout, uh, about 50,000 patients treated by rheumatologists primarily. We did $406 million uh, up again in the fourth quarter to $129 million, which was sequentially up 19%. Uh, so we expect that to grow to over 500 million here, million here in 2021. So strong expected growth and, and really sets us up well for the closing of our acquisition at the end of the quarter. Okay, Tim, we're going to leave it there. Thanks so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Great to be on. Tim Walbert of Horizon Therapeutics. Coming up, the chicken wars. <laughs> They're heating up with McDonald's finally getting in the game. But will it be a game changer? That is next. And it is time for what we call show and tell. We show the chart and then tell the story. Today's chart is square. That stock is down by about 6%, 6.5% on mixed results. This is the company doubles down on Bitcoin, adding, a 170, adding $170 million worth to its balance sheet. Here's how Square CFO addressed risk amid Bitcoin's volatility. We experiment, we iterate, and we take a disciplined approach. Overall, the investment we've made so far is 5% of our cash. And it, the business that we have related to Bitcoin through Cash App is about 5% of our gross profit. We're going to evaluate this investment on an ongoing basis. We'll be dynamic. We'll respond to the market environment. But ultimately, that long-term vision is, is what we're investing into. We've got a news alert for you, Berkshire. <laughs> Charlie Munger speaking at the Daily Journal annual meeting, making some strong statements about the market, as he often does. Becky Quick's got the story. Beck. Hey, Melissa, this is one that you better pull out your popcorn for, because Charlie Munger is taking no prisoners. He has uh, always been somebody who speaks his mind. But I'll tell you what, at the age of 97, he is not holding back. He is insulting just about anybody and everybody associated with Wall Street. I'll run you through just a few of the highlights. I hate even turning this off right now because uh, it, it's a, a new one coming just about every minute that's coming through. But he started off with SPACs today. When he started saying, uh, what do you think about stacks? He said, well, the investment banking profession will sell. Yeah, crap, as long as crap can be sold, except for he used a little more explicit word for those things. He also started talking a little bit about what he's seeing just in terms of Wells Fargo. He was asked the question, why is the Daily Journal, has it only sold one share of Wells Fargo when Berkshire's been selling so much? He said, well, I don't think it's required that we absolutely have the same sort of situation as Berkshire. He did talk about how he was disappointed by the prior management there, how he didn't think they were conscientiously malevolent, but they definitely made some bad decisions and terrible had terrible judgment in what they did. He said, you can understand why Warren got disenchanted to explain Berkshire shares. He said, um, I'm a little more tolerant. I expect less out of bankers than he does. Um, Bitcoin has been a big thing, a big topic of discussion. He's never been a fan of Bitcoin. And a few years ago, I think he called it rat poison. Um, this time he came out and was a little quieter at first. He said, since I never, he said, it's the equivalent of digital gold. And since I never buy gold, uh, I would never buy any Bitcoin. And I would re recommend others do the same. Then he went on to, to quote Oscar Wilde on fox hunting. And he said, it's basically the pursuit of the uneatable by the unspeakable. And added, we will not be following Tesla into Bitcoin. This is a great one that he just came out with, Melissa. He just came back with something else. He was asked, what do you think is worse, the valuation for Tesla or the valuation for Bitcoin? 
He's quoting somebody else, and I missed the name of who this was, but he said, I can't decide between a flea and a louse. I don't know what is worse. And then he was asked about GE and what happened there at General Electric. He said, I never bought a share of GE because I never liked the culture, and I was not surprised when it blew up. He said uh, Larry Culp, he, he thinks uh, better of Larry Culp and of what's going on with this. But again, uh, if you want to hear any roasting that's taking place, you've got to listen to this media meeting because uh, Charlie Munger at the age of 97 is literally taking no prisoners and insulting just about anybody who wants to listen in. It's great to always get his knowledge uh, and also his zingers. <laughs> Becky, thank you. Yeah. Becky, quick. Thanks. Well, McDonald's is finally, finally getting into the chicken sandwich fight that it kicked off in 2019. Kate Rogers joins us now with all the details and what it could mean for competition. Hey, Kate. Hey, Melissa. Well, this is a sandwich that both franchisees and fans have been waiting for, but the competition is, of course, very steep. Take a look. It's got me really fired up. All this clucking is big business. McDonald's is officially getting in on the chicken wars with its sandwich launch. While the Golden Arches has long had a McChicken lineup, this is a premium offering. They're late to the game on, on chicken sandwich, but I suspect they will catch up um, only because they have an advertising budget that dwarfs everybody else's. The beef around the bird has been ongoing for years now, picking up when Popeyes launched its premium chicken sandwich back in 2019. Chick-fil-A chimed in on Twitter saying it had the original chicken sandwich. This sparked a war among legions of fried chicken fans online weighing in to support their favorite. Somebody love their chicken sandwich here. All of this chicken is big business. U.S. consumers ordered 2.6 billion chicken sandwiches last year, according to the NPD group, most from quick service restaurants. And if it seems like everyone is clamoring to get in on the action, that's because restaurants big and small are. Taco Bell announced it's testing a crispy chicken taco. Burger King said its own hand-breaded chicken sandwich is on the way. And Wendy's and KFC also recently rolled out new products. Now, all eyes may be on this chicken dance, but burgers are actually still number one. Last year, consumers ordered about 7 billion of them at restaurants. That's according to the NPD group. But online, Melissa DoorDash says the fried chicken sandwich was actually the second most ordered item in 2020, behind only the chicken finger. I like how you say the chicken finger. <laughs> um, but, Kate, I'm curious, how should investors and analysts view the addressable market for a chicken sandwich? Is it is it fixed, and so all these players that enter it are going after that same fixed pie, or does it expand? You know, analysts believe it can expand. Obviously, McDonald's is one that a lot of fans and, as I mentioned, franchisees have really been waiting for. But they're over a year and a half, not late to the game, but coming in later. They're much bigger. They have a lot more prep uh, to get ready for. But about 65% of QSRs now are offering some type of a chicken sandwich, whether it's the hand-breaded one or the fried one. So there, there is a big market there. You know, does it get oversaturated? We'll have to see. But it'll be interesting to see how the McDonald's sandwich winds up stacking up against the competition because the fans really are the ones that weigh in and create a lot of the buzz, particularly on social media these days. Have you had it? I have not had it yet. It's still a little early out here in San Francisco, but, <laughs> you know, the day is young. We'll see. It's, it's lunchtime somewhere always, Kate. <laughs> Get on it. <laughs> Kate <laughs> Rogers. Right. I will. <laughs> Thank you. All right. That does it for the exchange. Coming up on Power Lunch, the Mattel CEO will join us to discuss the toy turnaround. That and much more after this quick break. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place.
CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.